this passage that, um, that I've been given, that last verse is the one that you probably cling to. The peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I've been in ministry for 13 years, which is long-ish. But I have prayed those words so many times I've lost count. In hospital rooms, in funeral homes, in rooms where a husband or a wife has admitted to an affair, to children who have seen their family just fall apart with, 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 with teenagers that cut themselves, with people who have found out they have cancer and it's terminal and car wrecks and, 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 and loss. And I pray this verse because I don't have anything else to say. When you come to a moment and you'll ask any minister, I don't have anything else to say. Like, you're sort of, I'm, I don't, anything I'm going to say here in this moment is just going to make it worse. And so you just say this, just, Lord, give them a peace that surpasses all understanding because understanding is, is terrible. I started thinking about this passage, and it's not just in the big things that Paul's talking about here. But he says in everything, because the big things that we brace ourselves for, the nightmares that we do need peace that surpasses all understanding, those things come and go, but it's really the everyday anxiety that we all struggle with. This just life coming at you where we need a peace that surpasses all understanding because life is really hard. And so you have some question when you come to a passage like this is, do you think Paul knows a peace that guards his heart? Do you think he's just, I mean, I was asking this question, I was looking at this passage. Do you think he's just waxing eloquent? Because so we, sound, we, we sound spiritual preachers sometimes. He's just sounding, well, that sounds so wonderful. I have no idea what that means. But what is a peace that guards your heart? It's a peace that you have in prison. as Paul is looking at his own guards that are guarding him, that he has a peace that guards his own heart. And there's nothing phony about what Paul is saying. A peace in prison. See, I want peace apart from the scary things. I want peace apart from my sin and my history. I want a peace that surpasses understanding, but I want, it, I want it to come when everything's okay. I mean, surely if I can just get my life to be okay, I'll have peace. Anyone else think that way? A peace that surpasses all understanding that Paul talks about doesn't mean you have to wait for a time when your family's perfect, because that'll never happen. A peace that surpasses all understanding doesn't, you don't wait till when your kids obey perfectly, which will never happen. All the unfinished parts of us, because we're all unfinished. In the face of the difficulties of life. Ever think peace is just right around the corner? Just right, this is me. I think peace is just, it's just right around, I'm so close. 
if I can just get, if I can just get that next thing, I'll have that peace that's eluded me my whole life. It's just right there, like the carrot. You know, if I could just get that peace, if I can just get this amount of money, then I'll have peace. If I can just move to this place, then I'll have that peace I'm looking for. If I can just get that person to like me, then I'll have the peace that I'm looking for. We're in, we're in Nashville. If I can just get a cut, if I can, or if I can just get that number one, then I'll have peace. If I could just move to that house that I'm dreaming, if I can just get to Cottonwood where I live. <laughs> right? That's funny. Ha, ha, ha. And so our sermon today is, is about this. It's about having a peace when a lot of life or maybe nothing in your life is okay. And the world has no clue what that is. And that's what Paul's talking about. So how do we get that? He doesn't give us this like formula that you can sort of unlock. I'm not going to give you this secret recipe that you can finally have this peace. He gives you a way of life, and there are three things that we're going to look at. A peace when nothing's okay is this. He talks about rejoicing, praying, and connecting. That's what he gives us. Rejoicing, praying, and connecting. So let's look at our first one, rejoicing. Rejoicing in what? Rejoicing in the Lord. That's what Philippians is about. That is the, what is Philippians about? It's about rejoicing. It's literally what, like, you rejoice, right? Okay. Rejoicing. It's what the whole book's about, rejoicing in the Lord. And there are a lot of different ways you could define rejoicing or what rejoicing is. Here's a, here's a good one uh, from, from a seasoned pastor. Here's one from, a, from another pastor. He calls it a buoyancy, a spiritual buoyancy that comes when you're rejoicing in God. Joy is a buoyancy, a spiritual buoy. I like that image, buoyancy. And, and the, the passage where you find something like that spiritual buoyancy, the joy, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, where, where Paul's talking about being down but not out, being crushed but not destroyed. Here's what he's saying. He's talking about a buoyancy. Christians have a joy that's not impervious to suffering. It means we're unsinkable, but it means we're going to suffer. Joy is something that we are constantly being challenged. We're constantly dealing with difficulty. We're constantly getting wet, but we're unsinkable. We're constantly being pushed down, but we don't stay down, or at least we don't sink. The buoyancy comes from focusing on the privileges that we have in Christ. That can't change. That no matter what happens in your life, they can't be changed. It's a spiritual buoyancy. And we have to see that joy exists with sadness. Y'all all saw the Pixar movie, Inside Out. You know that, you know that, okay, Inside Out, right? It's the Christian Pixar movie. Where joy and sadness at the end, they hold hands together. The only way it can exist is joy and sadness. Sadness is not the opposite of joy because the Bible's full of a lot of unhappy people, but they have a lot of joy. So what is rejoicing that Paul's talking about? It's rejoicing, a spiritual buoyancy. Life is hard. Some stuff is coming at you constantly, but we're unsinkable. There's something unsinkable that comes from focusing on the privileges we have in Christ. Well, what is that? What are those privileges? We could go all over the place to find the privileges that we have in Christ. It's the gospel. And here's where I want to go. 
The same place that Jesus told his disciples to rejoice. Jesus uses this exact word in Luke chapter 10. So the question is like, not where does Richie or where does Pastor David, where do they want, where, where should we rejoice? Or like we we're trying to drum up some real joy inside of you. What is, G- how about this? Jesus of Nazareth tells you where to rejoice. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, I'll read it to you. So Jesus sends out the 72 to do the most mind-blowing ministry ever, commissioned by Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And they return, and they say, the demons are subject to us now. And Jesus said to them, and I love this, I saw Satan fall like lightning. What? And Jesus said, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy. That's the devil. Nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in your ministry. Don't rejoice in this. That the spirits are subject, subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's one of those, I can't get over that. Your names are written in heaven. I don't normally do this with the language stuff because it's boring. But that names are written in heaven is a perfect passive verb. Are written in heaven. And this is really cool. Perfect passive verb means this. It's something that has occurred in the past that is completed at a specific point. Done. Over. Like you graduated, it's over. Boom. It's something that has already happened but has continuing uh, effects into the future. And it's unchangeable in this context. So ancient people never saw their name in print ever. Ancient people, like these fishermen, they never saw like their name in print. Only Caesar and like really powerful rich people saw. The disciples never saw. And Jesus is telling them, listen to this, you rejoice because right this very minute your names are completely indelibly written in heaven. Don't rejoice that the spirits are submitting to you. Don't rejoice in the greatest part of your life. Don't find your joy in those things. Find your joy in something that will never, ever change. Jesus is saying, I can see it in my own head. I can see it. Your names are written in heaven right now. Here's what he's saying. You have an address. You have something that was, that, that's put there by the hand of God. It was passive. A passive verb means it's something that happened to them. They had no role in it. The source of joy is in something that you can never, ever accomplish on your own. It's something that God does to you. Here's the point. That's the truest thing about you, that your name is written in heaven. I want you to think about all the garbage that we tell ourselves about who we are. All the garbage and and all the titles that we put on ourselves. Jesus is saying, I will tell you, I know a place. I know a place where you can have true joy, where you can, that nothing will ever change. Nothing can get to your name written in heaven because I did it. In heaven? Rejoicing that your names are written in heaven. It's paradise. Where everything is perfect forever. It's what you and I long for. It's when we were children, we knew how to want and how to desire and dream of, and then we grow up and think that heaven is some fairy tale. And I have to quote 
the Chronicles of Narnia, I'm sorry. I know it's just sort of a, it's perfunctory. I have to do this. At least one Narnia quote. But it's at the end of the last battle. Y'all listen to me. Just, just follow. Let's listen to this. Aslan the lion spoke, and he no longer looked to them, to the children, like a lion. But the things began to happen after that that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. and can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was the only beginning of the real story. Your real story hasn't even started yet. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at the last, at last, the beginning of chapter one of the great story. Which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one after. Does your heart, what, is, what's, what images, is your heart beginning to jump inside of you right now? Maybe it hurts so much because you're so afraid to hope in something like that. That's what Jesus is saying. It's written in heaven. Everything that's good and true and beautiful. So it's not a coincidence in our passage that Paul, in, talk, in talking to Euodia and Syntyche, he says to, to, for all of them to agree together that they may labor together, these, these fellow workers whose names are in the book of life, and immediately he goes, rejoice in the Lord, I say. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul rejoiced in his name being written in heaven. This prison didn't have the last word on him. Buoyancy. See, it's not a matter of us not getting wet. It's a matter of us never being able to sink. The world can't sink you. Because we're united to him. We're united to Jesus. As a, as a bride is with the groom, as a, as, a, as a head is with the body, as a bricks are to a building, we are united to Jesus inseparably in his life and his death and his resurrection. There's no, listen to this, to Paul, there is no you and Jesus. There's not Richie Sessions, born 1975, Little Rock, Arkansas. There is, Jesus Christ has Richie in him. In him forever and all the things that are true about me, but I'm surrounded and covered eternally by Jesus Christ. It changes our entire identity. This is why Paul could, could, could rejoice. And again, he says, again, it's almost like they forget it, right? Rejoice. And they're like, whatever. Again, I say re rejoice. Rejoice, come on. I'll say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. All your sin and failure has been atoned for. Completely. The devil who is the accuser, you know, that's what his name means. The Satan, he's the accuser. The one that accuses you and brings up your past constantly and brings up the future and scares you with death. The one who constantly, he is going to be cast down into an eternal lake of fire. His days are numbered. He's over. Jesus wins is what that means. You're united to him. Your life is hidden in him. So much so that in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul taunts death. He does. He says, where is your victory? Where's your victory, O grave? Where's your sting, O death? Where is it? It's swallowed up. How can he say that? It's not because he's tough, because he's not. 
It's because he knows that there is a joy, there is a victory that he cannot see, but it is on the horizon, and he is united to Jesus forever. So some of you are going, wait, 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 exclamation mark, question mark. I know all that. So like in Nashville, it seems like probably half of you are from the Bible Belt, right? Some, a lot of you grew up in church. Wait, I know all that, but all that's future. I know that my sins are forgiven, but like what does that do for me now, right? I've been in ministry so long. Like, that's great. That's great. That's wonderful. I know my sins are forgiven. Um, I get you, but you're missing the point. You're confusing happiness with joy. Rejoicing is different. Happiness is fickle. And you can be really, really unhappy right now and have joy. Happiness is as fickle as the weather in Tennessee. Joy is rooted like a giant oak in the end of the world in the new Eden. And the uglier this world becomes, the hotter your hope burns. And Paul's saying this is, only thing, this is the only thing that got Paul through life. That Romans 5.1 says, we have peace with God by the grace of Jesus. We have peace with God. Right now, you have peace with God. You may not have peace with your spouse. You may not have peace with your teenager. You may not have peace with your boss. You may not have inner peace, whatever that is. Peace with yourself. You may not even know what that means, but you have peace with the creator of the cosmos. Peace. So much so that he looks at you and says, peace, peace be on your head. Peace, my beloved child, peace, you're mine. I'll never lose you, I love you. That's what he means when he says the Lord's at hand. Some people think that means the Lord is, is, is near to us right this minute. Yes, he is. But the Lord is at hand. A lot of commentators believe that the Lord is at hand. That means Jesus is coming back. That means Jesus wins. Rejoicing. Rejoicing. See, it's not phony. It's very rugged. It's, I like to use the word salty. It's authentic. It's, it's rejoicing. Even when you're crying, you can rejoice that nothing can take it away from you. See, Paul has been boiled to this point. Second, praying. Peace comes from rejoicing in something that can never change. Second is praying. Praying to God about everything. So he says, don't be anxious about anything but in prayer, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. What is anxiety? Let's talk about anxiety. Because that word, it jumps out off the page to me. And like, class onto me, anxiety, right? When you say anxiety, what is anxiety? Um, this is from Chip Dodd, and I have to give a little shout out to Sage Hill, Ten Man Ministries, Jeff Schulte, who also is a, a wonderful man. I know he preached before me, but I've gotten all this from Jeff and from Chip and all my, all my fellows. So what is anxiety? Here it is. It's fear denied, denying your fear. I'm not scared of anything. Yep, you are. Yep. Fear denied. Fear denied becomes anxiety, which leads to control, which leads to reactivity and rage. So why do you think there's rage in the Philippian church? Anxiety. 
doesn't anxiety poison your world? It's poison. So he says, don't be anxious. Anxiety is refusing to be honest about the world. Anxiety comes when we refuse to feel stuff. Anxiety comes when we refuse to be honest about reality and life. Paul's not being some like Pollyanna, like everything's great. I'm in prison, everything's great. I'm not scared at all. It's not what he's doing. He's like, this is terrible. This is, but, but I'm honest about his, he's honest about his fears so much so that he desired to tell people. He's a very needy person, Paul. Very needy. That I, offends, I, I offended some machos in here, didn't I? He's very needy. So he says, don't be anxious. That's lying. That's lying to yourself and to God in reality. Don't be anxious. Don't deny your fear. Pray, pray, pray. That's what he says, pray. We got so much baggage about that. Pray. He says, pray, supplications with thanksgiving. What does that mean? Let's just walk through this. He says, pray in everything. That means cry out to God everything all the time. It's habitual. It's not compartmentalized. You gotta hear me say this. Prayer is not some compartment that you do, check off the list, and then go to Kroger. You pray in Kroger. Because anxiety happens in Kroger because you're thinking about what, what you're going to fix that night and you're going to think about how, how mad you are at your daughter and you're going to be anxious at Kroger. Don't just like, you have to pray at Kroger. I don't even know why I said Kroger. Praying in, he says literally everything. You can pray or you can be anxious. And prayer is surrendering control in action. That's what prayer is. Prayer is you being a child. You know, that's probably why we hate prayer so much. We're so scared of it. We don't know what to do with it. Prayer goes against every single thing in our broken, self-sufficient, authority, control freakiness. Prayer makes you a child. Help. Jesus was the most childlike man that ever lived. That was from Paul Miller, Praying Life. If you haven't read that book, I don't say a lot of books to read. That's a good one. Praying Life. Here's what he says. Imagine that you're at a restaurant. You overhear a man at at another table. And he says, I don't do anything by myself. This man is in his 30s. I don't do anything by myself. I just do what I see my dad doing. People would jump in and talk about how immature the man is, how poor his boundaries are, how much he needs to grow up. And then you turn to John 5, verse 19, and read that's exactly what Jesus says. They realize they've been talking about Jesus. Jesus is the most dependent human being who ever lived. We know that because he says repeatedly, particularly in the book of John, that he only does what his father tells him to do, and he always talks to his father. Jesus always had his foot in a boat so he could leave and go talk to his father. And he would be filled up again and again by his father and by James and by John and by Peter. Peter. He was a needy person. He was childlike. That's That's what made the cross so terrifying to Jesus. He'd never been separated from his father. Our normal was Christ's hell. 
So to grow in maturity is to grow in childlikeness. Help. Help. A lot more help prayers. A lot more like, God, I don't know what to do prayers. A lot more, I don't know how to feel prayers. A lot more, I need you to be with me. A lot more honest prayers like, God, I don't even think you're there sometimes. Where are you? I couldn't say that, Richie. Have you read? Go read the Psalms. I say it all the time. Like, I don't know where you are. Like, you've forgotten about me. A lot more honest, childlike prayers in everything. As life is coming to you constantly, he's saying you have an option. You can be anxious about those things, and you can play God. Or you can throw yourself at the feet of your Father who loves you. That's what prayer is. Thanksgiving. Finally, connecting. Rejoicing, praying, connecting. Praying in everything, childlike prayer in everything, and connecting. Connecting to God's people. Where do I find that? Um, All of these verbs and all of the pronouns are second person plural. Yep, sorry. Sorry. Verses four through seven, none of them, like verses four through seven, when I used to preach it, it was like, okay, now let's leave all those people out in Philippi and just me and you and Jesus. If you'll just pray to Jesus by yourself, everything will be wonderful. And not all those people that bug you and hurt you. That's not what Paul does. And I I literally had to go and look and I checked every single one of them on my Bible software. Every one of the pronouns are y'all. They're all y'all. Y'all, y'all will experience the peace of God. Y'all will pray. Y'all rejoice. And that passage right before in verses 1 through 3 where he calls him, I I can't tell you how many, when he calls him his beloved twice, his beloved brothers twice, and he says, you're my joy, my crown, I wear you. He adores these people. And he looks at him and he said, I plead with you. I beg you, you Yodia. I beg you, Syntyche, to agree with one another in the Lord. Why? There's no peace in isolation. Y'all listen to me. There is no peace with you not in community. And the reason I know that is because I have tried my whole 42 years of life to find it. I have tried so hard to find peace all by myself, me and Jesus, where I will not be hurt, where I will not be in community because it's messy, but I can't find it. And I never found it until I began to give myself to some other people. Open up. Connect. And that's why Paul is so passionate for the unity of the church. And I know when you hear that, when you hear some of y'all have so much baggage, and I do too. I have so much baggage about the church, not just since I work in church, but I grew up in the church. And I've been hurt by the church. And so I'm distrustful of the church. But it was in the church that when I was about eight years ago that my friend Rob Thompson, 
who we'd go run the trails in Memphis together, and he would share his heart with me, and I would give him such godly advice. I was blowing his mind. I was changing his world. Pastor. Pastor, yes, wisdom. And then I would get in my Honda and just drive home and go, I'm such a good pastor. And then he, 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 Rob's one of those guys that embraces awkwardness. So he says, hey, can I meet you in your office today? In my senior pastor office. Yes, you may. <laughs> Where I am in control. So he says, yeah, and he sits down in my chair. He sits down, sits down and he goes, I don't know how to be friends with you. I said to myself, I don't like where this is going. I don't know who to be friends with. How, how do you be friends with you? How do you know you? Who are you? I've told you everything about my life. I know nothing about you. Does anyone know you? Are you close to anyone? You preach these wonderful sermons that encourage people, but you seem so isolated. And I literally, here's what I said. This is what I said, folks. I froze and I went, I don't have conversations like this. I don't, have, I don't have conversations like this. And here's two things that were happening. I was terrified. I was so scared. And I was so hungry for what he was giving me. Because I realized I've always felt like a lemon my whole life. A lemon. You know a car, they just don't know what's wrong with it. There's just something wrong with it. They don't know what it is. There's something wrong with it. Just put it out there. We'll, we'll take care of it. I've just been a lemon my whole life. There's been something about me that's just wrong, that's just messed up. Until Rob Thompson... And until some close friends tell you and they look at you and they say those beautiful words that Brene Brown has made so much money off of, me too, me too. Have you heard me too? You'll only hear it here. And you hear me too? You know what you experience? Peace. There are no lemons, as Jack Miller said. Just sinners. And that's what this, this table is about. We're all coming together. We all have baggage. We all have things. I'm sure in a church this size, I honestly don't know, don't want to know. Right? Been there, done that. I don't want, but I know that they're hard feelings. And y'all sit around this table. Y'all probably can go to this table and there's going to be someone that you're mad at, you're so mad at because they changed the color of the carpet or something. Or maybe there's something that for 10, 12, 20 years you have harbored hard feelings. I get it. I'm not trying to deny all that baggage and all those hurt feelings. What I'm saying is you have a spiritual buoyancy and your name is written in the book of heaven with that person right next to it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for... Thank you for coming here. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for giving us your word. Holy Spirit, meet us here at this table in a mysterious and a very palpable way as we taste the goodness of God. In Jesus' name, amen.